want to text me, 978-551-6079. Many of you already have my number. You can also respond to the email uh, that I sent. Any uh, comments about the video link that I sent you? It's like three minutes long. How many of you watched it? All right, about half of you. Any questions? Was that helpful? Certain things that we do as, as people, reflecting by who we are as people, different than animals, the glory of God and the made in his image. There's never been one animal that has built an altar to worship God. But many people without any knowledge of specific revelation, any Bible at all, people are building altars all around the world trying to worship, as you saw in Acts 17, the, even an unknown God. So there is a, uh, a desire in all of us to know God um, and if we can't, uh, try to design a God uh, like us. But trying to bring Christ to our culture is our goal with these four weeks. We may uh, take uh, some Wednesday mornings and evenings to uh, get some practical um, applications of this. But we'll jump in this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Psalm 19. There are... Um, Many different directions, as I read several books, probably 10 books on uh, where our culture is in the last couple months, uh, trying to take the best of those uh, extra biblical books and um, helpful um, ways of looking at our culture, building bridges. Back in 2015, the LGBTQ uh, plus um, Agenda had a major, we would say, victory in the Supreme Court in 2015, and uh, we as a church responded. As leaders, we uh, talked about several things, got some advice, and um, and after I remember right after that, driving around uh, in New England and seeing a lot of the slogans that you'll see on our first slide. Love is love, or love wins. Two people should be able to, to do what, what they want in private. And as long as there are two consenting adults, nobody is hurt. God made me this way. Uh, so I have to follow my natural or my heart. My body is telling me that I am this way or that. Uh, another uh, thing that says you can't legislate morality um, and then um, blaming anyone who doesn't hold to the LGBTQ plus um, agenda or revolution or ideology. Your bigotry is why so many LGBTQ plus people commit suicide. So this, uh, those are taken uh, from a, um, a pastor who in 2015, I watched a little bit of his the introduction to his four messages, and he had these things that he was going to flesh out. Um, on the right side of your uh, sheet there is from Answers in Genesis. Uh, Ken Ham has uh, a secular worldview is built on man's word, and a biblical worldview is built on God's word. So what's the, if you just look at that picture, 
And if we're trying to get simple and understand what's going on with the secular worldview, what makes the secular worldview unstable? Okay, so man are flawed. What else? It's constantly changing. If you ever tried to talk to someone who believes a false religion, a cult, and as they get new revelation from God constantly, it is very difficult to discern what they believe. Because how do you know what's the latest? And when it comes to especially the LGBTQ uh, revolution, there, the change that's happening in our world in the last 20, 25 years has gone so fast, so fast. Even in the last two years, there are those that argue today, those in higher academia that are writing on gender studies and things. Two years ago, they knew what a man and a woman was. Two years ago. And now they're not sure they won't define it. As you saw with Ketanji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court hearing or the questioning before she was um, put in the Supreme Court. So there is a so fast this is this revolution from, and if you if you do some historical studies, I'll recommend some books the next two weeks. Um, but how fast the sexual revolution has happened, um, where there is sexual freedom in the nineteen. 60s and 70s and everything is and the rise of psychology how you feel and you have to go with what your feelings are and who you really are is based on how you feel all of that is on this left side that is is man's word and uh, we're trying to keep people from committing suicide for sure i am not happy when anyone no matter no matter the lifestyle or their sinful choices takes their life. That is not pleasing to God. God is not pleased when the wicked perish. Um, and, and we want people to be free from, from sin. And uh, sin causes a hopelessness, which usually can, can lead to suicide. But freedom from sin is what we're going after as believers, not freedom for self, freedom for any types of sin. That's not where we want to be as believers. We want to be free from sin, um, to be who you are designed to be by God. Okay, so what does the Bible say about these things? I, I have on my next slide just quickly what we're going to run down through. I don't have a lot of time to spend on any of these one things because of how short of, of time we have. But the biblical worldview uh, doesn't change. It is based on God's word. We have to understand God's word was progressive. So if someone just holds to like the Samaritans did, just to the Pentateuch, they would have rejected the rest of the Old Testament. Orthodox Jewish people today just hold to the Old Testament. And biblical Christians hold to all of the Bible. And then there are cults and Catholicism that add to the traditions and the other sacred books. So what sacred writings are we going to hold to? We're going to hold to all of God's word. And God's word does tell us that it is forever settled in heaven. Not one jot or tittle is going to change till all is fulfilled. And then Revelation says we can't add to or subtract to what's written in God's word. 
So thinking, focusing on our head today, what, what to expect uh, from, and their argumentation may, may add to this. This is just a sample list, and we don't know exactly how we're going to be um, attacked or, or um, confronted uh, as we try to reach out uh, to build relationships. But we need to expect this kind of, of logic. Um, and so let's, let's briefly look at what God has to say about these things. How, when, when someone says love is love, or all love is the same, or love wins, this came up last fall as well. And probably one of the best things that we can do for our world is loving other people is secondary. So what does that beg the question? What's primary? So God tells us what's primary. And what's primary when it comes to love? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. We looked at it last year when it came to critical race theory and social justice, that taking out love the Lord your God and just love your neighbor ends you up on that left side of that picture as a secular worldview. You cannot have a biblical worldview without the first and great commandment. And what the world hates is Jesus Christ. How do we know the world hates Jesus? What did they do to him? How did they treat him? From the beginning of his ministry in Nazareth, where they took him to the brow of a hill after he just said in Isaiah 61 that the, all of uh, what Isaiah said in Isaiah 61, that the Messiah would come, that is fulfilled. And Jesus started preaching to them about what they needed to do to repent. And they said, no, we don't want to hear that. And they drug him. And he was, they probably weren't able to, they weren't able to physically throw him off. But they didn't love the Lord their God, because here is God in their midst, and they didn't love him. They hated him. And as we give the truth of the gospel, don't expect a world who has exalted self to God to be willing to replace their God of self with the true and living God. Expect hostility. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't, like Nineveh and Jonah and the woman at the well, that we just avoid people. That's not the solution, biblically. And we'll see uh, in the next couple of weeks what we should do and what we should say. But how we should think is love, all love is not the same. Love will win, and the love that wins is a biblical love that's going to win, not a man-centered, man-defined man-exalting love that's going to win the day. Wrong way. All right. So Deuteronomy 6, fathers are supposed to teach their children to love the Lord your God, love your neighbors yourself. Jesus, the greatest commandment, when questioned by the lawyer to try to trick him, he quotes Deuteronomy 6 in Matthew 22. And um, you can look that up. So we're in, in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. We're seeing with the James Webb telescope now that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. It's always been out there. We just haven't been able to see it. It hasn't been as accessible to us as it is now. And you can go on a James Webb telescope, and they can, what it took, the Hubble Space Telescope, months and months and sometimes years to produce an image of all the galaxies that you can see. 
the James Webb Telescope can do that in minutes. Okay, so what we are doing with our technology is putting ourselves in a position to see the glory of God. Both on a grand scale of the universe and on a micro scale in what we can see from cells and, and um, in, in um, microbiology and other, other microscopes. So we can see the glory of God. Look at verse 2. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words. That's the, what, the, what nature can show us about God's glory. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber like a strong man runs its course, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7. But here's where it transitions from very broad, we call it general revelation, what everyone can see with creation and nature. We can see God's glory and we should respond to God's glory and humility and be satisfied with our creator. But God doesn't leave us with just general revelation. He has specific revelation and we have three verses here that talk about God's specific revelation in particular his word the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So what does the world need? The world needs the law of the Lord. They need the testimony of the Lord. They need the precepts of the Lord. They need the commandments of the Lord. They need the fear of the Lord. They need the rules of the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things because all of the descriptors of that say it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. This is what the world needs with their eroding, changing worldview. They need God's word because this is what God's word does for someone. More than general revelation where we're sitting in the middle of God's creation and we're observing it on a huge scale and on a small scale, where we can open the Bible and see that this is a perfect word of God that revives our soul. It makes wise the simple. It causes our heart to rejoice. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever. And all of God's rules are righteous altogether. When the world looks at our lives, do they see verse 10? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. What do you desire more than anything on the face of the earth? Do you desire God's word? Why should you desire God's word? Because it is better than millions, billions of dollars. It's better. It's sweeter than the best food you could ever possibly prepare or buy. Do you believe that? If you and I believed it, we would show by our life that we want God and his word more than, more than ever. 
Verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from also presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, innocent, and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. To fully embrace a biblical worldview, it's going to affect how we think about who we are. Our God is our rock and our redeemer. How can we tell that God is our rock? Well, we can see it in the pages of scripture. We can also see it in creation. He is glorious. He's a glorious God. Day unto day, it's just Creation is telling us how stable God is. When we study stars and how stable our sun is compared to other stars that throw off solar flares, flares, God has put us with a very well-behaved sun. Our private lives, in conclusion of this psalm, must please God. It's not just about, well, two people can do what they want in private. It's my private life. I can do with it what I want. When we see the glory of God, it changes. Look at how the private words here in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. That sounds like a very private sphere. Even what we say in private, in public, and especially even what we think about, what we meditate on in our hearts, we want that to please God too. And we know from 2 Corinthians 5, that we just make it our aim to please him. We want to please God because he is our strength and he is our redeemer. He's purchased us. We're free from our sin. As long as there's two consenting adults, nobody is hurt. Okay. Where our culture, other cultures put a line differently, but for now... Morality is as long as two adults are consenting, then it's okay. All right, and we have to agree with God. Where does God draw the line? And this, you know, a lot of young people are in here. Is it okay to hold hands? Is it okay to put your arm around? Is it okay to kiss? Is it okay to hug or whatever else? Where, where is the purity line at when it comes to how much physical contact can you have outside of marriage and it not be sin? Well, pretty clearly in Matthew 25, 27 and 28 says this, that whoever lusts in their heart has committed adultery already. So I can't tell you where the line is other than it is, the line is at lust. So if you're doing something physically with someone you're not married to and it's causing you to lust for them, you're breaking God's law. I didn't say that. God said that. Jesus says that to tell us what the intent of, Matthew, or of uh, thou shalt not commit adultery was for man. God's rules are morality. And lust crosses the line. Most people that I've talked to in the world, they do not agree with this. They say you can look and you can lust as long as you don't touch. Right. That's what the world says. That's not what God says. And I've told a few men, guys that I was working with when I was a teenager, 
And they looked at me like, where did you come up with that? <laughs> okay. I didn't come up with it. This is what God says. And so this is what we teach our young people um, in our homes, in our church. Um, this is where God draws the line. And uh, you young people have to have this as your goal. You want to please God with your life. Um, and if someone consents to do whatever and say whatever in, in text or watch whatever, that is not, that's not um, pure and true. And God's word is going to confront you, and you're not going to be happy and thrive if you know what God's word says and you do what you want to do. That's how the world lives. That's a, that's a secular worldview. God made me this way, uh, some will say. James 1 says, God cannot be blamed for any of our sin. We can't say that when I'm tempted, God is behind this temptation. No, no, no. James 1 says, no, every man is drawn away from his own, with his own heart and his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished with you, brings forth death. So God cannot be blamed. God is not behind our temptation. He tells us what to do with temptation. He tells us to flee temptation, flee youthful lusts. Don't put ourselves in a place where it's really hard to say Yes, uh, say no to sin, and really easy to say yes to sin. God did not make anyone gay, homosexual, or trans. They didn't. Okay, are there people that struggle with same-sex attraction? Absolutely, this is part of the fall, and so and and it's coming on the heels of the LGBTQ revolution. Is people are going to be attracted to animals? Okay. And that, that turns your stomach as much as 50 years ago, uh, LGBTQ stuff turned people's stomach, okay? Polygamy is coming, okay? It's already in a couple um, cities around us here, in Somerville and Cambridge. It's, it's acceptable, okay? This is coming. Um, and so God doesn't make us in a way, and there are many other scriptures that we could use, but we got to keep moving. You can't legislate morality. You can't? Now think about that statement. Does, are there any laws against immorality in our country right now? And we're glad that these laws are in place. Of course there are. It's called the age of consent. Because remember, the law right now, or the, the law, is that as long as there's two consenting adults. Well, when does someone become an adult? Every state, every country has a different Threshold, and you need to know in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, where we live, what the age of consent is. Because anybody below that is not a consenting adult, and you're, it's illegal. So there is a, you can legislate morality. So when someone rapes someone, you can legislate what to do with a rapist. According to Deuteronomy 22, 25 to 27, rapists should die of the death penalty. That's what I think should happen. How many rapes would happen if rapists were received the death penalty? There would be less, less rapes, okay? Incest is another thing that, that I think should, should carry the death penalty. And this is God's law from Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus 22 as well. You can, we do legislate morality. Um, adults with children is always immoral. 
um, has been and always will be. Some cultures uh, have a different age uh, of consent. Some cultures uh, in the past, and probably some today, uh, they don't have uh, legislation to protect children from adults. Um, but we do legislate morality. It's just where you draw the line. Thankfully, right now, it is against the law for child pornography and other ways to, for adults to use children for their own sexual pleasure. And we're thankful for that. But you know there are two states as of 2019 where living together before you were married is still against the law, Michigan and Mississippi. And 2013, there were four states. So our country used to, legis used to legislate, even living together and not being married is a crime. And it used to be, and you can go back and look and see when uh, uh, lesbian and gay, when that was a crime. And with the way we look at that now is looking at, oh, wow, that is so like slavery, okay? And we, they put it in the same category of, of course, slavery was wrong and, and telling people that you can't be um, LGB or, yeah, LGB. Um, and that, that's uh, similar to uh, slavery. And they'll say things like um, civil rights, human rights, and LGBTQ rights are all in the same category. And we have to discern that that, that is not the case. We'll, we'll, we'll have to keep moving. But if you've got questions, um, send me an email, send me a text. Um, and we'll, I want your questions to be answered because I don't know who, who else, <laughs> what else you're thinking. Um, but God's word is, does answer these, uh, these, um, these questions. All right, so our bigotry is why so many LGBTQ people commit suicide. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul lists uh, in the New Testament uh, homosexuality and uh, gross sexual sin, uh, fornication in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, and then says, such were some of you, but you were washed and you were cleansed. You are purified. This is God's plan for people in all types of sin, that you would be washed and cleansed and justified being right with God. It's available. So we're not being bigots or harsh or unkind to people if we don't affirm their lifestyle and merely tolerate their lifestyle, but we can't affirm it. Affirm means, yes, I agree that God made you this way. Yes, I agree that as long as there's two consenting adults, then it's not immoral. Yes, I agree that two people should do whatever they want to in private, and it's not a problem. We can't agree to that because God's word doesn't agree with it. And when we know God's word and the benefits of God's word that we saw in, in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 19, this is the good life. This is the flourishing life, and it's a pure life lived according to God's word. Okay, if you've got questions, uh, let me know in, in a text or an email uh, or in a conversation. Let me know, and I'll try to answer those at the beginning of next time. I didn't stare this, uh, so let's go back to Genesis um, 1. We know that God made us in his image, different, unique Probably climax of God's creation is the creation of man. In the way Genesis 1 
leads up to the creation of man in the way Genesis 2 explains that sixth day of creation, God's good design is meant to reflect his glory, his character, which the video, if you watched it, if you didn't watch it, you can watch it uh, this week, that we are to reflect God morally and mentally. uh, And we do that when we um, interact with other people. Whenever we feel guilty for sin, we reflect God morally. And um, God's good design is for us, made in his image, to reflect his glory. And we can see the glory of God as we saw in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we can see God's glory and we're to be changed by God's glory. And we look from God's glory in 2 Corinthians 3 back to when Moses saw the glory of God and God was steadfastly loving and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and he is long-suffering and really the fruit of the Spirit. So God's design is that we would reflect his glory to the nations and to all of creation. There are roles, though, of God's design. And the roles that we see in Genesis 2, and let's look at God's uh, roles for man and woman. Verse 15 of Genesis 2. This is pre-fall. Okay, The fall corrupts and distorts these and makes it hard to live these. But in a perfect world, in Genesis 1 and 2, this is God's perfect design for human flourishing. And so we don't have to look at all the aberrant life choices and lifestyles and is this okay and this okay and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with this. We're not going to be able to do that in our our brief time. But to know what God's design is for man to reflect his glory and to enjoy God's presence. So creation is not creator. Humans are not animals. And man is not woman. There is a distinction of, of creator, creation, um, everything else God made on the sixth day with man is, is unique. And there's a distinction that we see here in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Keep it there is to like guard it, to protect it. So man... Before the fall, this is male, man, okay? Before the fall was to work and to guard or protect. That's why man physically is stronger than female. And as much as the world hates this, look at the Olympics and it's true. Look at the design of the male body versus the female body. It's just true. It's just part of biology. It's got part of God's role. Of, and it, there's nothing wrong with this design. This is the creator, and the creation cannot, can hate the creator designing it this way. But go create something out of, out of nothing in your yard, in your basement. You can't do it. Okay? Only God can create things by speaking out of nothing. And when he's the creator, he's also the sustainer, then we have to listen to him. You can't live in another world. Even if man gets really so far technical to go live on Mars, it's not going to last very long. They're not going to be able to live on the moon either. It's going to be so incredibly expensive. It's probably not ever going to happen. Moon is not designed for man's flourishing. 
Mars is not going to be designed for man's flourishing. This planet is designed for human flourishing and for us to see the glory of God and to be submissive and satisfied with our Creator. Those are two key words that you'll see over and over and over again in a biblical worldview based on God's word that God designed man to be submissive to him, to listen to him. Can't, you can't do whatever you want, Adam and Eve. You have one tree that you can't eat of. You have to submit if you're going to enjoy the perfect, the perfection of dinosaurs and crocodiles and very large reptiles and they're not um, trying to eat you <laughs> and you're enjoying them. Um, as pets, that, that was a very brief time, I think. And God's design was for man to live in harmony with nature and with God's creation, and most importantly, is submissive, satisfied with God. So the Lord God took the man, verse 16, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, if you have read Genesis 1, you'll see at, after the end of every day of creation, and it, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. 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 Everything is good until God sees in, in partway through day 6, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is a compatible, the, the Hebrew word is Interesting, like, um, and I heard it explained. You've got a round hole and a round peg. Those are compatible. You got a round hole and a square peg, not compatible, okay? So that's the language that God uses here for saying man is a, um, needs a helper that is like him, different than him, but it, it's fit for him. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So man has some role of dominion over creation, in particular the animals of creation, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So God delegates the naming of animals. Why? Because man is made in the image of God. Animals aren't naming each other or man. Animals are named by man, showing that man has dominion in God's creation, God's good design. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. Anything that would probably interact with Adam and Eve, he doesn't get scuba gear and go down to the depths of the ocean and name everything on the ocean. Everything that would he would be able to uh, interact with is the categories here of what he names. But for Adam, there was not found. And in naming them, Adam realizes, there's not found a helper fit for me. There's no one like me. He didn't say there's a gorilla, chimpanzee, close enough. No, not close enough. And so God, so God allows Adam in naming them to see that he is the only human. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up in its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And he's ex God's expecting male to name the female. The man said, 
This is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then, so after creation, and it's interesting that Adam is not awake for this. I think Adam and Eve are created last for a specific reason. Here's the reason. We have to depend on God's word. No one, not even Adam and Eve, was there the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, first part of sixth day to see God create any of this by seeing it. No one observed it. Adam doesn't even observe how his wife comes to be other than he falls asleep. When he wakes up, there she is. How'd you do it, God? God tells us how he did it and how he did it. This is all we have. (laughs) It's like, okay, we have to agree with God. God designs us to be submissive to him. We have to be submissive to his word. We have to be submissive to his word in the very beginning of time and all throughout human history. And that's where the biblical worldview is built right on top of submission to God's holy revealed word. And a secular worldview says, no, man's word. We don't need God's word. We don't need God's word. We don't need God's word. (laughs) Unless uh, we, we, we might like this or this. If it helps approve of my lifestyle, then I'll take it. But if it reject, if I, it contradicts what I want to do with my life, then I'm, I'm going to reject it. So the, uh, the fall disorders what God's good design is. So sin corrupts the reflection of God. Let's look down at verse... Um, 12, let's see, let's uh, pick it up at verse 8. This is after they sinned, they realized they were naked, they sewed clothes together, and they heard the sound of the Lord, verse 8 of chapter 3, of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. No longer satisfied with the presence of God and able to be with him, now they're hiding, not reflecting the satisfied, um, I'm satisfied with God and being with God, now hiding from God. They're hiding among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And God knows exactly what they did. He knows everything. But he's wanting Adam, he wants to see what Adam's going to say. Adam, the representative of us. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. He blames her. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Not reflecting what he was designed to do to work the garden and to guard it. He doesn't even guard his wife. Instead, he's, we'd say he throws her under the bus. All right. It was a woman that you gave me. And then verse um, 13, then the Lord God says to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Again, blaming someone else. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be uh, against your husband. 
and he shall rule over you. That word there, for your husband, you may have a footnote, and it's the same word that he used uh, for Cain, that Cain's um, sin was desired to, to dominate Cain in the next chapter. And so the woman, because of the fall, she's going to struggle to be submissive to her husband, and her desire is going to be to rule over him. And he's going to have to rule over you. Verse 17, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you in pain. Shall you eat of it all the days of your life and thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So God's design for reflection Adam doesn't fulfill his role of protecting his wife. He probably, commentators think that he was there watching her eat. And she eats and is uh, encouraging him to eat. He is not deceived. He is willingly disobedient. And he is the one who is the representative of the human race and of creation. And by one man's sin, death enters the world. Sin enters the world and death by sin. So Romans 5, we are sinners because our fathers are sinners. So mothers, oh, good, all right, it's not my fault. <laughs> my kids are sinners. It's the dad's fault that you are a sinner. How do we know this is true? Because of Jesus. Jesus has no earthly father. He has an earthly mother. Does uh, Mary have a sin nature? Absolutely she does. She's not a co-redemptic. She's not without original sin. She is just like you and I with sin. But Jesus doesn't have an earthly father. If he did, he would be in this line of sin. And uh, so that's why it's important that he is, has a, a virgin birth. Sin's corruption of the reflection. You're seeing less and less of God in, in uh, Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is uh, a match for Romans 1 to 3 in, in God's design and then their corruption. And we don't see much of God. We see a lot of sinfulness, selfishness, um, manipulation, deceit, and blame shifting. All of this happens when the fall happens. And we, don't, we see very little of God here. And since corruption of roles, we saw that with uh, Eve wanting to, she's going to have a desire to be more powerful than her husband, not to listen to her husband. She's not going to be want to submissive to him, and he's going to have to rule over her, uh, and a corruption of roles. The Savior reorders this. And the same language of creation we see in 2 Corinthians 5, which we have just seen in Sunday morning. But what do we see in 2 Corinthians 5? that we are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christ comes as the second Adam. And we sing about it and come behold the wondrous mystery. Um, Christ comes as the second Adam to restore what the first Adam destroyed. What to reorder what the first Adam was disorderly. And so the focus for the Christian in the New Testament with a biblical worldview is focus again on the glory of God. 
And anything that distracts from the glory of God, we say, is a perversion. Anything that distorts the reflection of God, the roles of God, the word of God, anything that blames other people for my sin, and I don't take personal responsibility for my sin, and I don't repent of my sin, cannot lead to human flourishing. But in Christ, and here's where we're going to bring Christ to our culture, the Savior reorders creation. We are a new creation in Christ. We ran out of time to talk about this, but you can read the prodigal son. The prodigal son is not, the story is not about the prodigal son. It's about the older brother. How do I know that? Because of the rest of Luke 15. Luke 15, 1 and 2 tells us about when people come to, when someone who is lost or something that is lost is found, there's cause for rejoicing, whether it's a coin or a sheep or a son. And the older son is like Christians who will, won't rejoice in the people that have corrupted themselves, have wasted their, their life in riotous living or with prostitutes or all kinds of immorality. And we have to think like the father wants the older son to think, hey, your son has been restored. Rejoicing is appropriate. And this plays into what we talked about last week. When we go to Nineveh, and the Ninevites repent, it's cause for rejoicing. Not cause for, oh, God, I want you to destroy them. When people of an alternate lifestyle, no matter what their sin is, when they come to Christ, we welcome them into church. We help them to observe everything that God commanded them, fulfilling the Great Commission. And we are happy that they're free from sin. They're still going to struggle like all of us still struggle with sin. We need to realize that all of us in God's family were once selfish, rebellious prodigals. And 1 Corinthians 6 reminded the Corinthians, such were some of you. You were homosexuals before you were saved. You were immoral before you were saved. And you're washed and cleansed and justified. And that was the Corinthian church. That is any really healthy church here. And um, we'll talk uh, about identity uh, and, and attraction and, and things um, in the next uh, two weeks. If you got questions, uh, let me know, and uh, we'll, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories that help us to put ourselves and see ourselves in need of being submissive and satisfied with you and understanding uh, theology and salvation, that whenever uh, prodigals turn from their sin, that you as a father welcome them into your family back into your family. I pray that you would help us to uh, be extensions of your heart uh, and help us to think like you, our Father, and uh, use us to uh, have a ministry of reconciliation of those who are contemplating suicide even today. You'd bring them across our path and we, we could share the hope of Christ and the freedom they have, they can have from their sin so that you be glorified with their lives. In Jesus' name.